and welcome back to The Start Life. I'm your host, Lisa Leonard. Uh, I do feel this is probably now the third season, as I know we've had a couple of brief intervals of production, but hopefully always coming back stronger and better than ever. I've had a lot going on here in Las Vegas, and I'm gearing up for a new occupational venture. Still racing, although um, I'll probably be taking a, a short break after, after this weekend's race. Um, but I'm also super stoked while I'm doing that to be able to spend a bit more time with our relaxed cycling groups here in town and, and get, some, get some more women's groups started too. Um, I hope everyone else is having a great season if, you, if you're racing or training or just enjoying the summer holidays. Um, monsoon season is definitely here in Las Vegas, I would say. I know that sounds counterintuitive since we live in the desert, but it's true. From late July to September, we see massive increase in thunderstorms and rainfall and honestly it's such a lovely break from the 110 plus weather so that's been lovely this week in either condition though I will tell you nutrition is always key and more importantly I think for this area I mean Las Vegas or the desert is hydration although I will say um because it has been monsoon season, it's been quite humid and you do sweat a fair bit more. So regardless, nutrition and hydration, key, which is a rather cheesy, maybe, uh, transition to um, introduce us into this week's guest, um, who is Josh Sprague. Now, Josh Sprague has a company called The Orange Mud. Now, I use my orange mud pack um, and I switch between, for, for cycling, and I switched between using bottles in the bladder uh, based on whatever the need of that activity is. So if I'm not going that long, I'll take, um, I'll put a bottle in and carry my nutrition and, and other things I need. Um, flat repair kit, money, phone, etc. Um, and if I'm going on a bigger adventure or in a group ride, I have uh, the endurance pack where I'll take a big bladder full of water and also pack my um, first aid kit. So, for another side note, I guess, this weekend I'm going to be racing up in Tahoe. So, I was racing just bottles, but for this one, I think I'm going to bring the bladder because um, I think, honestly, I think I've just been a little dehydrated and I want to make sure that I can bring all the water I can. Anyway, I love the orange mud packs. They honestly fit like a glove and they're so tough and so durable and They've really been made specifically for all these rough and rugged sports. So as I said, Josh Bragg um, is the company founder. Uh, he now runs a company with his wife and, and a small team of people as well. He's an entrepreneur, an ultra-distance athlete, husband, father, and really an all-around badass. Originally from Kansas, but now of Colorado, Josh is not afraid of pushing boundaries on the sports performance equipment and never seems to shy away from a physical challenge. He recently completed the Dirty Kansas 2000, gosh, that would be an event, huh? Um, he recently competed or, or completed the Dirty Kansas 200, which is a 200-mile gravel race um, in Kansas. So we talk a little bit about that and Josh tells me exactly how his race went. So it's always, it's always good to get a nice race report from, from someone. So anyway, it's always great to catch up with him. So I was super excited to get him on the podcast. 
So without further ado, please welcome to This Start Life, Josh Bragg. Welcome to This Start Life, Josh. How are you? I'm doing great. How about Good. yourself? I'm wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I was just thinking about this. So Josh, you're the, the founder and owner of The Orange Mud. Yep. And I first met you in, uh, I think it's Benelli Park. Benelli Park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that Astera Off-Road Triathlon over there. Yeah. So you, yeah. this was like way back, this is a few years ago now. So you were kind of still in the starting out place. I think you were still yeah. full time for definitely the uh, equip, medical equipment sale. Yep. Right? Yep. And, um, and you had just started this company, The Orange Mud. Um, which well let, let me or you can tell us like what what the company is about sure well yeah so so we design backpacks for runners riders and then we have workout accessories as well but, but yeah we, we started our business six years ago a little over six years ago and um and it's just yeah it's taken off it really started with the whole premise of uh, bottle-based hydration packs <laughs> the mount high in your back for runners and then now it's expanded a lot to mountain bikers and uh, even when we met we still just had just the bottle-based packs for run yeah. but but uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's taken off. It's been it's been insane. <laughs> is this is this how you envisaged it was going to go, or could you have imagined that it would take off as much as it has? Yeah, no, I definitely did not envision it would go this way. I actually didn't. I didn't think I'd be smart enough to, or lucky enough is probably the better word to say it, um, and smart enough. But but <laughs> to make all these products, you know, we we have now you know hundreds of SKUs. I have no idea how many. Probably five hundred now. And wow. Um, and, you know, initially I told my wife that it would probably take 10 products before I could quit my day job. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I ended up quitting with 14 products on the market. And, but even so, you know, at that year, we, we could see like, wow, this is actually maybe going to work as a, a real business that we yeah. both can do. Yeah. And, uh, cause we both run it and, and then, yeah, next thing you know, I quit my day job and we made hardly any money at all that year. I was technically negative cash flow thanks to inventory. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I knew with some extra focus and not working like 70, 80 hours a week, uh, running the device company and then, right. you know, 70, 80 hours a week here, it'd probably take off. And at least I hope so, because uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I gave up a good job, but, yeah. uh, uh, and my wife, you know, quit her job as a corporate attorney and yeah, next thing you know, it worked out. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so there's a few different things I want to go into with that. The one thing that really impressed me from the start about you is, that not only are you just having these ideas, you're actually putting like pen to paper or like fabric to sewing machine, so to speak, and like like actually making and designing these prototypes. Yep. Did again is is that something that was really important to you from the start to like to build something that like first and foremost was like durable and something that you would wear, and um, mm -hmm. something that you could like make and then trial by yourself before even like bringing it to, 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 um, manufacturing level, I guess. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning I didn't have the skill set to make things myself. So, um, I mean, I, like our first prototype I built with, um, you know, I destroyed a gun holster, a, uh, some straps from the back of my like tie down straps and a, and a waste pack. And then I like sewed it together with the hotel room sewing kit and, <laughs> Uh, and oddly enough, I had taken clothing class in, in high school okay. because I, I thought I'd be an architect growing up. And the only uh -huh. way in my itty bitty little high school in Kansas that I could take my architect classes each year was I had to take a clothing class. At the time, I was like, well, that's kind of weird, but whatever. And, and honestly, I had a blast doing it. And yeah. it's just different using a, 
commercial or a um, off the shelf consumer grade product for sewing backpacks, it just basically doesn't work. Um, so, you know, I had, I like went to Michael's or Joanne's or something. I bought a sewing machine. I'm like, I can totally do this. I had clothing, you know, 20 years ago, whatever it was. And, uh, and that just didn't work. So for the longest period of time, that first maybe two years, I would staple and glue things together and hand kind of piece them together. And then, uh, I didn't know anything about materials in this industry. That was a whole new twist to learn. And, um, so it's just kind of the whole process, but, but now, yeah, I have three sewing machines and, and uh, I'm actually sitting in my little prototype area, sewing machines. There's one right there behind me and nice. some over here. So, um, but yeah, so over time, uh, because I do believe in quality always is number one, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, I, I, I had to make them in a way that, that I understood the process. And it killed me in the beginning because fortunately I found some good manufacturers to work with and they mm-hmm. really helped me. But, um, but it's still like on my side, I'm like, well, I, I need this here to be stronger. Like, well, how would you like it stronger? I'm like, I don't know, like, however you make that stronger. Yeah. And, and that kind of killed me. So, um, and even so now, I mean, I, I make all of our backpacks basically flawless before I ever send it to the factory and I send them patterns and everything now. Right. And, but there's still things that like in my head, I've learned how to do this, you know, yeah. by, by just figuring it out. Right. I don't have formal training per se. So, so there's certain things where I'm like, yeah, I need, you know, I need a, you know, I need this type of stitch and like, kind of like this right here. And, yeah. and they're like, Oh, you want this or this? I'm like, well, not, not really sure, but it needs to look like this. <laughs> yeah. And I go, oh, okay, that's what that is. So, so there's just certain things that, like, it's funny. I probably know how to sew better than 99.9% of people that you know. I mean, I sew every day making prototypes or yeah. just playing with things. And yeah. um, it's just, in the end, I'm still not like, I'm not a seamstress per se. <laughs> you know, it's just right. a different a different beast. Yeah. But, uh, but it's done wonders because now, like before, it would take like 10 months to get a product to market was my average time. Every product, it was, it was weird. Every product, when I looked at the timeline after the, after the fact, it's like, God, it took 10 months again. How do they always take 10 months? Because it used to be I'd get the, the product in from my sampler and at the factory, and then I'd look at it, and I'd try to manipulate it a little, and I'd usually take a picture, and I'd Photoshop, like, here's 47 changes I need you to make. Right. And they would get 20 of them right and 27 of them wrong. And then next thing you know, it's like, okay, you know, okay, here's what I need from sample two, six weeks later. Right. And then, um, and then I give them 25 changes and then they, they, sometimes we just go completely backwards and it's like, what we had these perfect. Why did you change these? <laughs> so it's what forced me to buy my first machine. And, and once I bought my first machine, you know, I, again, I was very crude. I was so worried. I was going to sew my finger into it and all these <laughs> things more than anything else. Um, but after a while I kind of started getting my feet wet. I'm like, okay, cool. I could do all these, you know, basic things. Mm-hmm. And then it evolved to where I can do the high, highly advanced things. Mm-hmm. And so what it allows me to do now is I literally, it's kind of cool because I get to go through and tell my factory, Hey, and this seam, this is a, a potential for failure. So I want a bar tack on the bottom side and a triple tack up top or three different seams up top. And, uh, and they're like, well, that's kind of overkill. I'm like, that's how I want it. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. And I, I know it won't fail. Right. It, it's impossible to fail. Right. And, uh, uh, I mean like in our backpacks, our bladder based packs, we have sold, I don't know, a lot, tens of thousands. I don't even know the numbers, but, uh, we had the first failure last week and, and with sewing, you still have, you have like, you have like the thread can run out in with like your bob in the bottom part of the machine. Mm-hmm. And, and like with the guy that broke it, he was using an off course racing. I told him, I was like, like, honestly, you shouldn't be able to break it. Yeah. Like, literally the, like with key features in our packs, 
it's almost impossible to break them. Like the fabric should rip first. Right. And, um, but when I saw it, I'm pretty sure probably what it was. It was probably just a human error. And, you know, you always still have that. Yeah. But for me to have a failure of one is still terrible, but a failure of one in all the packs. Absolutely. It's, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so again, that's kind of the nice part about being able to sew, yeah. um, let alone like manipulate all my kids' clothing and stuff. If yeah. They need a right? <laughs> so, so it's fun. Yeah. So then, so you, you had interest in like design then from an early age or building things or, or both of those things yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, I think like I grew up a country boy and, and, um, I mean, I was selling rubber band guns that I made out of plywood or a, a little like pieces of pine board. And I cut them with a jigsaw when I was like eight. I can't believe my dad used to <laughs> let me take use a power tool like that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I used to make rubber band guns, sand them all down and put a string down. So you could, I'd, I'd make it not just a one piece rubber band gun. I'd make it to where, well, I had the single shots, but I had like machine gun style where you run the string yeah. down and you have all these rubber bands, pull it up and shoot all these. I used to like sell them in school when I was a little kid. I just thought, I just love building things. Right. So, you know, as a kid, I like, I didn't think that was who I was. Maybe I, I don't know. I think most of us don't know who we are <laughs> until yeah. you're, I don't even know when, but, uh, um, but yeah, looking back, I, I was always a kid that was building stuff. I built, I don't even know how many tree houses in the woods around my house. Yeah. And, um, I was just always building something just because that's just what you did in the country. There's nothing sure. else to do. So, yeah. So it, it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so it's funny then that you're coming back to that after. So how long did you spend, you know, you, so you left school and then what, you know, did you go straight into medical sales or straight into sales? Or no. So yeah, so I went into, um, uh, I worked in the traffic industry with this machine vision technology. It's kind of a long story, but it was kind of a cool, crazy job uh, for just a couple of years. And then I jumped into the medical device side and, mm -hmm. and then, yeah, I went from uh, the sales side of it to, uh, to when I you know, quit. I, I was the VP of the company and ran the company. And, and, um, um, I did that for what, about 15, I guess just, uh, right at 15 years. Mm -hmm. So, so it was a great career. It was really fun. And, mm -hmm. and, it, and there's a great parallel because, you know, like my, my background, I ran a company of you know 170 people that machines, we, it was a huge machine shop that made medical devices for spinal implants and shoulder implants and parts for, you know, whatever missiles and defense and all this yeah. stuff. And, so, you know, in, in all this, it's really critical to have them like the designs to be pretty much spot on. Like the tolerances are, you know, take a human hair and divide it by 10. And that's what we're working with, um, with a lot of things. That's how accurate things are. Um, so coming into and being, you know, very well-rounded in my knowledge in plastics and metals due to all the manufacturing we did and all these different manufacturing tools, I thought, how hard can it really be to make backpacks? And and it's just a completely polar opposite. Like a nylon in that space is extremely different than the nylon in the backpack side. Yeah. There's some parallels, you yeah. know, in like the core premise of material. But, um, but that, that learning curve was, it was, it was a lot bigger than I had expected. It definitely took a while, uh, to get my feet wet and really understand materials and sourcing and just, just everything. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's crazy change, but, but a, a fun one. So what motivated you to get into the backpack, you know, to, to start doing that? Well, so my boy, uh, when he was born, um, you know, both my wife and I worked just ridiculous hours mm -hmm. and some, you know, like somebody had to give and, uh, um, and you know, she, she liked her job, but she wasn't maybe as passionate about it. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, start a company. And I mean, it was, it wasn't immediate, but it was three months after he was born as well. Wow. We, uh, came up with this idea, this pack that I've had in my head for forever. And, um, 
Uh, I just finally decided to take action one night. And um, it was like two days before the end of the year in 2011, I, I made the first prototype in my garage. And then we formally launched the business in January. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, we're going to start a we're going to start a, a, a company and you know, it's probably going to cost, I still remember telling her, I was like, sweetie, this pack is going to be awesome. Um, it looks terrible right now because I literally concocted it in my garage. And, uh, um, but I was like, you know, if we can make this work, like make it look like it's worth more than like a nickel. Um, it, I think we can make this a go. It'll probably cost us 50,000 bucks. Uh, worst case scenario, we'll have two backpacks worth $25,000 each right. designed for us. And best case, you know, we'll have a business out of this. Right. And, and, uh, so it was about, it was probably about a year later when she was able to quit her job. Uh, and it was probably about a year and a half later. Uh, cause it wasn't too long. I think it was right, right before my daughter was born. Um, so we had two itty bitty little kids, which is probably not the best time for her <laughs> to give up her, her awesome job and my awesome job. But hence why I worked my job to the last possible second to where yeah. I was about to mentally break. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. So it's, uh. It's been a it's been a wild road, but but yeah, it's uh, it just really came out of necessity, though. Yep. I don't know how people do it with, you know, we have two kids and, and it's insanity. I, I don't know how families do it when both of you have to go to work on a daily basis. It's, right. That's a hard deal. Right. I mean, I, I have as a as a boss, I never understood it. And, you know, like guys that work for me, like, hey, man, sorry, my kids are off sick today. I'm like, again, like it's for the seventh day in a row. I'm like, don't you have somebody you don't have that you don't understand it until you have kids. And once you have kids, you're like, like my daughter, she broke her arm on biking the other day and she couldn't go to summer camp for the right. first like three weeks. Yeah. She just started. Yeah. And it's like, who can just stay home for three weeks? Right. You know, or, <laughs> so, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's really worked out. We've been you know, very fortunate that we've yeah. been able to, to, you know, do this. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that you can like get like that true understanding for it. But um, I wanted to draw, I feel like there's like a huge parallel between your um, ambition and drive, but also just like staying power, like with business, as well mm -hmm. as like your athletic stuff, right? So, sure. So for people that don't know you, as well as being this phenomenal business owner, like very very um successful company and um, you also enjoy ultra distance events so whether that's yeah ultra distance running or cycling or both of them yeah <laughs> and, both and i think this is something that um i kind of started to started to kind of see a couple of years ago um during ironman training before i did an ironman like that was like the longest event i'd ever done and going into it i was so nervous i was like how can I possibly keep going for like, you know, 11 hours? I think it was like, how, how do you keep going? And like that, and cause I'd never done anything that big. And then when I did it and there was all these things that happened along the way, the thing that the way you do it is you just keep going. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which sounds, which sounds kind of just silly to say that very simplistic, but you just, you know, you, you problem solve and you kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that experience for me was very eye-opening and it helped me in like other areas to, instead of looking at things like, well, you know, I might not be able to manage this distance or this event or this project. I never thought of things that way again. I always thought, okay, well, this is gonna be hard and these are all the things that can go wrong. So here are all the ways that I'll fix it along the way. But 
not doing it is not going to be an option. Not that it's not an option, because obviously there's some things, like, that just can happen. Like, you get hit by a car, like, obviously you're not going to keep running, or, you know, something, like, terrible like that. But as far as, like, keeping going, like, that was very, like, eye-opening to me. And so, and I think that, um, I think also having people like you to look up to, like, how, like, um, we you know, looking at you doing these like hundred mile events and stuff that off seemingly like next to no training sometimes. <laughs> and I do excel at that. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> you just keep going and you do it. And I think that body is like an amazing thing, but, um, so many people haven't, don't have that understanding. And I wonder if that's a unique thing to people like yourself. Um, or like people like you or I who have experienced those long events, you're like, oh, you just, you just handle it and you keep going. You find a way and you keep going. You know, yeah. I wonder if that's something that is instilled in you somehow in your childhood or growing up or something that you learn. But I do see like that parallel between your athletic career and your, um, your business career for that reason. Yeah. It's like, you know, you just kind of, yeah, this this pack might cost us like fifty grand, like for for it to be nothing, but yeah. we're just gonna go and push on. You know, like how do yeah. you do you feel like that was something that you've always had, or is that something that you had this epiphany moment, or you know, I think it comes down to this. I mean, it's probably a mix of things, really. I mean, it's it's um, you know, growing up, I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like we I. You know, we weren't, you know, like super poor or anything, but we didn't really have a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. it was just, we were just, I don't know, kind of, it was something maybe, like I always tell people, I'm like, it's not like we didn't have any very much money, but um, but at the same time, it's not like we were, you know, living off the land. Well, we, I guess we were living off the land a lot <laughs> just by nature yeah. in Kansas. But but um, but I think you just learn that, that first off, you know, money really doesn't mean anything. Right. And, you know, it's, um, uh, and, and obviously, you know, like in my career, I mean, I, but my wife and I both, you know, it's, uh, we've, we've had in over the course of our lives, we've been to where we have nothing and we've been to where we have quite a bit of something. And, um, but I, I think it's easier when you come from that to just be like, you know, like I said, if that, it like, it cost 54,000 that year. I was, I was pretty accurate, unfortunately on my number and just to launch the business. And, right. and I, I just remember being like, you know what? I felt, I felt confident in it. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a stretch. I was like 80% confident. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I wasn't hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's one thing to design something for yourself and your wife and another to like hope like the world likes it. Right. But, um, but it was, I think it was easier to be like, you know what? It's $54,000 I don't need. And I hope that we'll have a return in time. And, uh, uh, but again, I think it just comes down to that, you know, if you're used to having not much, it doesn't really matter that much. Right. And, um, but I think, you know, I think everybody has a, a survival mechanism they, mm-hmm. and until you really maybe experience things, it's just hard to understand. Like people <laughs> tell me all the time, like, Oh, I think you're crazy. You do, you know, 200 mile bike races, hundred mile runs, 50, whatever. And, and then, you know, like, like our social manager, Kevin, he gives me crap every year. He's like, seriously, like I, I looked last night, I've ran 190 miles year to date. And one of them is the lead ultra marathon or 26.2 of it. Um, and yet I have Leadville hundred coming up in, I don't know, six weeks, I don't even know, seven. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully it's a ways up. Um, but that doesn't bother me you know, because I, I've done, I've done it all, you know, I've yeah. done all kinds of distance and, and I think, 
you know, I tell people all the time, you know, I'm like, you know, most people are more fit than I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I meet tons of people that are more fit than I am, but they just don't think they can do it because they've never done it. Where right. I still remember doing my, my first six hour adventure race and, and, uh, like six hours are kind of weird because they call it a six, but I think we did it in like four hours and 50 minutes or something. And, uh, and at the time I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. And then the next one was a 24 hour adventure race. And I did that. I'm like, Holy crap. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. And then like after a while of doing a bunch of those, all of a sudden like a 12-hour adventure race or even a 24 after you race for days, a 24 hours like, oh yeah, it's like a it's like a 2-hour mountain bike ride. Yeah. It, it it just becomes relative. Right. And Ironman, you know, same thing. I remember thinking like, oh, what, how bad can it really be? It's just an Ironman. Yeah. And and no knock on Ironman, Ironman's brutal. Uh it's just I, know, I think it's so singular and and kind of by yourself all day. It just yeah. it's, for me it kind of yeah. got old. Um so yeah, I think a lot of it just comes down to to you know, have you got used to suffering? And I I am always good at that, especially given I'm not always trained for things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I found you can get through almost anything if you yeah. just are good at suffering. And and I like proving a point. I always have. So um, you know, for better or for worse, and and I think I've improved on that over the years. But but you know, I like to to show people that yeah, you know, I, like I ran the Hawk Hundred last year on a broken foot. You know, four broken metatarsals, and I did it. You know, part of me is stubborn. I was crushed. I didn't finish the Leadville 100 last year because of it. But I thought, you know, here three weeks later, I'm doing it with trekking poles. It's like, I can do this. It, 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 I can do it on a broken foot. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody can do that. I mean, so seriously. how did you break your foot? I don't know. I must have just hit something wrong oh. in, in the Leadville 100. And at mile 20, I broke it. And then I, I picked up a stick on the side of the trail and muscled to Twin Lakes at, where I had my trekking poles at mile 40, 20 miles later. And then from there, I just used my trekking poles and I didn't put any pressure on my right foot for, you know, for 50 miles, 52 miles. And I, unfortunately, it was just at a pace I wasn't going to be able to finish and I didn't want to waste my pacer's time. And it was the first, first race I think I've ever DNF'd out of my own, like a, an injury yeah. and, uh, out of hundreds. And it just, it made me sick. Hence why when I ran the Hawk three weeks later, I'd signed up for the 50 mile, but I, I went, I didn't even tell my wife, I went in with a hidden agenda of doing what I did. Um, I told my buddy Ron, that was it at the race. And, uh, and then, yeah, mile 50, I was feeling good. So I went for it and, and, you know, I didn't finish fast. I, I actually got the dead freaking last one yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, I literally mall walked the race. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't hardly run at all cause I, I couldn't, but, um, but again, I, I like proven points that anybody can do anything. And I, I think that was one of them, you know, it was, for me, it was about completion last year It was my home turf in Kansas. So there was a lot more to it, of course, but, um, but I've always liked doing stuff like that to be like, okay, yeah. Okay. So you've only ran 200 miles for the year. You can definitely do a half marathon. Yeah. You know, you can definitely do a trail yeah. marathon. You know, these things are, they're not to not negate how hard they are. It's just, everybody can do them. Yeah. No one, just no one thinks they can do these things. Yeah. It just blows my mind, but it's, it just comes down to experience. And, you know, are you getting, are you good at surviving and just suffering it out? Right. So, but, and, and then like, for me, I like doing a lot of this stuff because it allows me to think, you know, yeah. I, I, uh, I did two, you know, a little over two hour ride yesterday and I, and I, I of course tune out, but I like to think about, okay, how, like the pack, I was wearing a new pack yesterday, a, a proto and, and I like to think about, okay, what can make this better? Or maybe, you know, how am I going to get back and process the stack of paperwork that I need to do for financial right. tax stuff, which yeah. I just dread. Yeah. And how can I figure out how to do it faster? Yeah. And, you know, it's, Everything like it. I mean, everything, it kind of all ties together. Yeah. Business is definitely about survival and enduring. And, uh, and then it, it's the same thing. Um, it's the same thing on this front too, you know? So it's about just survival and enduring on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a good time. 
Yeah, I definitely think there's something in that with the with the suffering though, like just yeah. being being able to get into that space and suffer, I think is I think it's something that people don't allow themselves to do that often, but it's quite like freeing when you know how to do that. Like when you can just yeah. get into that settle into that that space of suffering and just just endure and yeah it's it's very freeing and it definitely leads us to crazy ideas I think as well like you know you're like oh well you kind of like because because things do seem like um trivial you know like oh well 10k well how about if we're going to do 10k how about we do this 10k that also is like 10k elevation that also has this or it's like something crazy like the ideas yeah. where you can go for, once you achieve those things kind of like are like the world's your oyster. Like, I mean, there are no limits. Yeah. Um, so, so most recently you did the, the Dirty Kanza 200, right? Yeah. In your home, yeah. home state. Yeah. Um, have you done that before? Yeah, I did it last year. Oh yeah. And last year, like I suffered in that race. Like talk about survival. I uh, I just went way too hard in the beginning. I didn't think I was going that hard, but coming from you know up high in ele- elevation here, you know I'm a mile higher in elevation. Yeah. I think that I think it screwed with me because I I didn't factor for um you know that that extra basic aerobic capacity properly, mm. and and I put too much power out, and I kind of blew up at like mile fifty, and uh. you know it's two hundred and eight miles last year, so. Um, that really sucked because I bonked for a good hundred miles. And, uh, and then from there I was great to the finish, but this year I went into it with the whole goal of running a real smart race. Yep. And, and I, you know, here I say, I love to suffer, but at the same time, I don't want to suffer. Right. Like, I'm good at suffering. Right. I don't want to suffer yeah. if I don't have to. Yeah, you so do it smart. <laughs> the, yeah. So this year I was so pumped. Um, I ran a flawless race. It was just fantastic. Uh, with the exception of breaking off my friend derailleur in mile 36. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I ran a perfect nutrition day and I literally was strong start to finish. And I had the most fun the last like 30 miles. We got into Peloton that was out of control in the dark, flat out hammering. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm amazed. I don't have like smashed in teeth or anything <laughs> from rocks because I mean, we were riding some, there were some rough rock areas, not like super techie or anything, but just recent gravel on the right. road. And, yeah. you know, we're flying over this and like going 20 plus miles an hour. I'm like, this is, it was the most fun I've ever had. It was actually the most fun I've ever had in a bike race. Wow. And I've done, I've done hundreds and, um, I, I really, it was the Peloton, yeah. the flawless day of nutrition on really hard wind. The winds were insane yeah. this year. And, uh, like people are like literally laying on the ground sleeping. I saw a couple getting naked. I'm still not even sure why. I don't know if they were hot or <laughs> what was going on. It was uh, I you know I passed a couple guys who were like delirious and and uh, when I asked them if they were all right, they kind of like rather than looking right at me, they kind of looked like over here. And the guy was like, bleh, bleh, bleh. I was like, okay, cool. Well, there's two of you, so you'd probably be fine. I kept going. Yeah. And, I mean, it was it was a crazy crazy day. Yeah. But that yeah, worked out really well. I, I was I was really really pumped and. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's hard though. I mean, it's, it's 200 and this year was 207 miles and it's a freaking long ways to be on your bike. Yeah. The Dirty Canada is definitely like a growing event and uh, very popular these days. And, um, uh, did you get caught in the thunderstorms or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a 30 minute rain delay. So, so, which was great kind of, um, so yeah, we race was supposed to go up at, I think six and it was delayed till six thirty, and man, rain came in, lightning, winds, yeah. but then like clockwork, thir- six thirty, cleared off, no rain, wow. good to go. 
the only downside is we, you know riding in a group of you know, 2500 riders out there uh or sorry it's 1300 i think did the 200 um you know it's just basically a train and right. it's a train of mud in your face right so the first two aid stations it took the first two aid stations to kind of dry out yeah um and honestly, the course wasn't terrible. It's just, you just get crap all over you. So you come okay. in and rinse yourself off yeah, just to get that, you know, off your skin. Yeah. And, uh, and then from there, honestly, the course was pretty good. It was just the wind. Yeah. I mean, the wind was, it was just relentless. It was yeah. terrible. I had a couple of friends that were, were doing the event and, um, they, so I was like, kind of like keeping an eye on the weather and I would look at it and I'd. At a point, like I just stopped kind of like talking to them about the weather because I was like, "Yeah, it's not going to make any better." Like they know it's going to be really windy. And there's going to be a headwind for a lot and forever. Yeah, <laughs> forever, <laughs> man. Kansas, I mean, there's there's not a lot of elevation change, right? So you're just like exposed to yeah. elements. Like yeah, it's not like you can. Yeah, there's some hardly wind. any trees. Right. I mean, yeah, it's and the elevation is weird because it was only like I want to say eight thousand feet again. I forget. Um, so yeah, it's not a lot, but, right. but they're, they're kickers. So you basically okay. just have these kind of long things and they deep, it yeah. just kicks up and, and it just kind of, it a little bit wears on you, but yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, the, the gravel bike scene pulls a lot of people from the Midwest and admittedly they have a little bit harder time to find elevation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you definitely hear people complaining about or complaining about the hills there. But hmm. you know, I think you know if you live out west, you get a little more practice on the hills. Maybe it's it's not that bad. And I personally found it's just it's fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, the hills honestly were a nice reprieve because you could get out of the saddle right. and get your butt off of it right. for a little bit. Yeah. you know, and and that was great. But yeah, it's just really it's the winds are are pretty brutal and like the terrain overall is pretty good. And um, you know, it's uh, like the clay back there and kind of muddy stuff when it rains like that. That kind of sucks, but. Yeah. But again, it could have been a lot worse. And right. even this year, a week beforehand, it was forecast to be 103 at the peak. And then it was like 99, 103, and you know, it was super humid. And then like two days before the race, it dropped down to 83 or something. And I think it was like 91 maybe yeah. for the high. But, yeah. but whatever the case, it was it, like temperatures were never that bad. I, yeah. I don't I was never like overly hot. Yeah. And you know, I just spray myself down with a water bottle every every 20 miles, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was very infrequent in the middle of the day. Um but it was just the winds. They were sustained. Yep. It, it wasn't a gust. It was sustained. And that's the second really gnarly wind race I've had this year. And, and it was kind of discouraging. So um, that part kind of sucked. But, but again, it, it, especially when you know you're going to finish, when you, when you get to that like mile, like 163 or whatever at Madison, it's like, okay, the winds are still going to suck from here on out. Right. But I only have like 50 miles to go yeah. or whatever it yeah. was. And, you know, it's... Um, it's like you learn to deal with it then, yeah. but it was like, like mile hundred to 160. They were just freaking unpleasant for everybody. Yeah. Like, like I was saying, I, I bet I saw 50 people laying on the ground. I mean, at least, it, at least yeah. it was, it was gnarly. It was just, it was just brutal. It was constantly in your face. So it's hard, especially with that many miles in your legs. Right. And then this year they also debuted the 350 courses and as an invite only yeah. event. And yeah. So I don't know, like if they, if they open that up to the public, is that something you would consider then or no, no, <laughs> no. no, you're good with the 200. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, you know, I, I, I love, I mean, I still miss adventure racing. I wish the sport would grow back, but, mm -hmm. um, and I do that in a heartbeat, you know, yeah. I do three, four, five, six, seven, ten 10 day race, whatever. Uh, I'd love to do that, but yeah. 
350 I love my mountain bike. I do. Yeah. I love my gravel bike. But I just can't say I have a desire to bike 350 miles. I have mad respect for those guys, yeah. but um I yeah, I don't have a desire yeah. for that. I'd, I'd rather go and uh, support crew somebody. I think that'd be sweet. Right. And I love to see people suffer too. Right. So uh, I'd love to be like, how are those saddle sores right yeah. now? Like, I, I just can't even fathom, yeah. you know? And like this year, you know, even like, like I didn't really have much saddle soreness, you know, it was a pretty good year. I, I everything was kind of lined up, but imagine if it was, well, those guys started the day before it was 99 degrees mm-hmm. and like 5 million percent humidity. It was terrible on Friday when they took off at four o'clock or whatever. Yeah. I felt so bad for them because we were out at the expo just getting roasted as is. And then I was just thinking like, my God, I, I don't know how you're going to do this. That's horrible. I mean, it's just very bad conditions to start it. Um, and then at least that night, you know, the, it, it, well, it was hot until late. It finally cooled down in the middle of the night for them. That had to help. And then again, Saturday was a decent day yeah. for them, but, but to imagine you know, tacking on another 150 miles with those winds or to imagine the flip side. What if it was raining the whole time or what if it was a hundred degrees and blowing the whole time? And, and that's to where it's like, like where I was liked about adventure racing is we may bike for 12 hours, but then we could run for six or eight or would swim or kayak or whatever. So you break it up, but just to be on your bike for like two days. I don't know. I'm just not sure it's me. I think you should do it and I'll come crew you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Now that you said it like that, I'm not sure how stoked I would be for 350, but but maybe though. That's a long ways. <laughs> it's a long yeah. way to go. So what do you it's think happens to like the adventure racing scene? Like you you said, you know, it's like kind of gone away a little bit. Is that something that you think is going to come back? Or I don't know. I I mean, it's still there. It's just yeah. it's largely died off. I think it's it's coordination, it's logistics, and I mean, I know I was racing about 30 races a year, 20, 30 races a year. And, and it just got to be exhausting coordinating all the events. It's very expensive because you want the best bikes, you want the best running, the right. best kayak stuff, right. the best rock climbing stuff, you know, so it's, it, it, it eliminates a lot of people just for expense. Right. Uh, and then even like, like, I can't imagine tell my wife right now, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to take off for two weeks to go do this, you know, adventure race, yeah. and, you know, primal quest in Canada or something, yeah. which they have. And, um, it's just, it's a lot harder. And I, I think that's where the sport of ultra running has pulled a lot of adventure racers. The gravel biking has pulled a lot of ex adventure racers. And yeah. so I meet a lot of ex adventure racers out there, mm-hmm. but, um, and in the end it's, it's, it's a lot to coordinate a team. Mm-hmm. It's just, it takes a lot of work to, mm-hmm. to really rely. Like you can plan for 10 months for a race. And then the day before week before somebody gets hurt or, you know, especially if it's a girl, you know, cause you adventure racing, you always have a female component it's hard to find women in the sport. And, you know, every once in a while we'd have one of our ladies bail and we had, you know, a a few that raced on our team with us, but, um, but all of a sudden you're like, well, okay, we can't even go because we don't have another girl. And and that, that really complicates. So, um, and, and I think that's what eliminate a lot of people. And you have to be basically an expert in navigation via map and compass. And very few people could do that. Like I, I learned to do it because I wanted to get into the sport. Yeah. Hence why I picked it up. But, um, but that, that definitely eliminates a lot of people. If you don't know how to read map and compass, you're out. Right. (laughs) You can't even do it. So I, I, I think that's where the sport is kind of, they found a bunch of us that were nutty for a while and then it it just kind of slowly dried up. But, but again, endurance running picked up Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I find either love to run or love to bike. Mm-hmm. Not often do they like to do the opposite sport. You know, it's a, you're either a runner or a rider mm-hmm. by default, like by 90% of your passion. Yeah. And, and like for me, 
I'm 90% bike and I, I love to run just for, I don't know, I just do, but, but it's my biking is what I love. That's my thing. And always has been. Um, but, but it's, what you find is that, you know, say if you got a great three great runners on your team, you're like, okay, we're going to be going on some pretty technical stuff here and you can't get hurt. We still have to run, we still have to swim, we still have to kayak and, and it's going to be, you're going to be tired. You're going to be sleep deprived. And once we finish, we're going to drive 10 hours back home, Right. you know, um, because we have to work Monday and in that, that's just, like I said, it's very complicated, yeah. but so I think that's where, like, like I said, the sports with, with the increase of ultra running, I think it's really put a hurting yeah. on, on that sport too. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird how these things play out for sure. And ultra running, as you said, it definitely has been like picking up over the night. Like there, we're definitely, I feel like seeing a lot more hundred mile races and, or certainly even just like the popularity of those like long endurance events. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been involved in the scene for too, too long, but it seems that like, you know, those, those hundred milers, it used to be just like maybe like a handful, but now there's more and more people that are like, you know what? No, I can, I can do the hundred mile event and like, and actually trying it. And yeah. then of course now they're bringing, I think the 200 mile running event. I've, I've seen a few yeah. of those now. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see that progression. Um, the, and of course, like that's a huge part of like the orange one muds, like gear audience would be that that um, ultra distance event. Yep. So yeah, and they've and it's been an awesome audience. I mean, it's really it's I have really the ultra running audience to thank yeah. for the success of our business. I mean, they're what gave us the foundation mm-hmm. to get us off the ground. And um, you know, I always tell people like I I I like running, I love biking, but. But it's because that I like running. I wanted to make running easier, hence why I made packs the way that I have. Yeah. You know, it's as stable as possible. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I literally I don't wanna I don't wanna think about my pack while I'm running. That's the whole goal. And, Absolutely. Um but but yeah, I think, you know, with the sport of ultra running growing, yeah, it's insane. I I, I think I heard the other day there's like five thousand trail races in the US now, and that's not all ultra, but um there's an insane amount, yeah. if I remember right, um, from the American Trail Running Association. But um but yeah, I think, you know, the, the sport's taken off because a lot of people are just tired of running on pavement. It's, it's harder on your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even running on the roads or on the sidewalk next to the road, everybody's texting anymore. And the, the risk is obviously getting killed even on a sidewalk. Yeah. And I think the same has gone for the sport of road biking, which is what's got the endurance gravel bike side taken off so well. Sure. It, is everybody was just done. Yeah. And it's humbling because it's pulling these animals off the road bikes right. into the gravel bike scene. I cannot believe how strong people are. Yeah. It's crazy. And I've been, I started gravel biking back in like 2000 and probably three or four somewhere back then. And, um, I started with this ride called the death ride in Kansas. And back then, like I could finish in the front of the pack. Yeah. And now, not that I'm as strong as I used to be, but even so, I don't think I, I don't think I have it. I know I've never had the capability, um, uh, at least with the training that I, and everything I do, I don't have the capability to come anywhere close right yeah. now. I mean, it's, and again, I see a lot of them. I ask them because I'm just, I'm fascinated by the percentages of, of time. You know, you're averaging 20, these guys are averaging 20 mile an hour on a gravel bike, you know, in crappy conditions and rough roads. I'm like, what's your background? Like, yeah. oh, I'm an ex pro road racer. I'm right. Like, no freaking wonder. Yeah. You know, it's uh, Yen, Yen's boy. He was yeah. out racing dirty cans yeah. this year. And, you know, Alison Tietrich and mm-hmm. Amanda Bauman. I mean, there's all these amazing athletes that mm-hmm. are, that are coming into the scene and it's not like it's just a little weird grassroots thing anymore. It's, right. it's a scene. Right. And, and like dirty Kansas is big, 
there's even bigger races out there. Yeah. You go up Michigan. I mean, there's crazy races. It's just all over the Midwest. It's, yeah. it's funny how the sport is. And, and still most people don't even hardly know about it, right. but yet it's like the size of races are literally exploding. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy to me. And I think it's awesome because I love anything dirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> me too. This dirt life. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, I think that's really where all the fun happens. Absolutely. I mean, that's certainly what brought me more into the road or onto like into the mountain the bike Lugia. stuff was, you know, like, um, yeah, I mean like in Vegas, certainly we've had, oh, sorry. Oh, lost you there for a oh, second. Sorry. Um, no, I was saying that lost you for like a 40 seconds, maybe I can, I can edit that. No worries. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like that's what got me onto or pushed me more into the dirt was, number one I was kind of like just fed up of being on the road fed up of being like just the monotony of like the training for like Ironman where you know you're just on the road the whole time like it's fine I'm really good at like settling settling in and suffering but I just wanted something a little bit more I wanted to get back to my roots like in Scotland I would do a lot of trail running and Hmm. that was like I mean that was just like but that I never viewed it as like training it was more like your um like meditation or your therapy yeah you know like trail running was just like where you went to go and like clear your mind and and you still got killer workout but it was always just so like invigorating and refreshing so then yeah again into mountain biking and I do feel like I mean it's sad because we do have a lot of like you know vehicle versus bike accidents and like I really wish that wasn't the case um but yeah. but it is it is making the scene a lot more, uh, as you said, like the the caliber of athletes is definitely increasing, bringing all these these roadies yeah. and road runners into it. But you know, it only it yeah. only helps the sport. It can only help the sport, like pushing pushing those boundaries as well. Um, yeah. What would you say then to people that are looking to get into endurance events? Like, what would you say as far as equipment? Certainly, like. What are your kind of essentials? So, yeah, so um, like, uh, like my pretty much go-to pack that we make is called the Endurance Pack mm-hmm. or the Gear Vest. Uh, I use both of those um, pretty much daily, mm-hmm. you know, and, and whether it's running or riding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the key to, I believe, 100% in nutrition is where, where everything starts and ends. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I uh, it's like we were talking about earlier. I firmly believe you can do anything with the right nutrition, yeah. even if you're not trained properly for it. Right? Uh, is is I've proved all too many times because uh, I can. It's 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 tough. In fairness, it is tough to run a business and have two little kids. Yeah. And, and still get in training, yeah. but it's pretty much everybody has the same problem. So I right. don't really have that good of excuse. And there's people that you know, like one of our elites has five kids, and you know he's he's a friggin' beast. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get, you know, sometimes I think it's easy just to chalk it off to genetics, but some people will get up at four in the morning and go knock out their training. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I have mad props to them, but, but no, you know, I'm all about, uh, nutrition, um, is, is a hundred percent lube is crazy. Like I, I use squirrels, nut butter, and I just have mad love for their product. I put it on my feet, put it on my butt and you know, whether it's biking or running or, you know, it's, if I have a hot spot, I throw it in my armpit or something, really? but it's usually feet, protect your feet and your butt. You yeah. know, if you have your, your feet, butt and some of the other nether regions protected, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things too, that people are funny because they're like, yeah, like in Leadville hundred last year, you know, I, I stopped and dried off my feet and, and maintained them after I went through the Creek crossing and, and, uh, and so many people that were cruising by, they're like, ah, you don't need to 
that. I'm like, we're at mile 42 of a hundred. Why wouldn't you take care of your feet? Yeah. And then, in, in, you know, and I did, and my feet were great. I finished it looking like I'd probably been at the spa when I, I mean, I only ran 72 miles that day, but, but I, my feet were flawless Yeah. and you know, it's taking care of your feet. They, they literally are, it's, it's obviously where all the power starts right. and whether it's run or ride right. and you know, dirty Kansas, same thing. I lube the crap out of my feet. I lube them about eight hours ahead of time. Uh, and I put a pair of socks on and I re-lube again right before the race starts. And when I do that, I have zero issues, no hot spots, no blisters, yeah. no, no nothing. And, you know, I think that's one of my biggest tips is just be prepared for that. And yeah. then, um, yeah, obviously have the right nutrition, the right orange mud gear, uh, always helps. And then, uh, and then just positive, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm always amazed with the negativity you see some people bring out in races mm. and they're always the first to drop. You always know those for the most part, they'll be the ones that will never finish the race. Right. And they'll always have some excuse. Oh, I hurt this. I hurt that. It's yeah. like, okay. Well, just cause you were negative the whole freaking day. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I've always been the, the guy that whether we're at the front of the pack or middle or back, you know, I'm always trying to have a good time yeah. and, and make sure everybody else is, yep. you know, having a good one too. So I think that's the most important, important thing is just go into it with a positive attitude. Yeah. You can pretty much do anything. Yeah. Do you have like a go-to like mantra or anything that you like kind of revert back to like when you're really in those like really dark places or struggling? No, for me, it's just, you know, it's one foot in front of another, I guess, but I, I never really have, you know, I'm just the guy that like, and especially in these, you know, kind of individual races, I listen to audiobooks mm-hmm. and it allows me to kind of just tune out a little bit and, and, um, uh, but no, I, I, I say I, I'm pretty good. At, I, I mean, I've done hundreds of races and I'm pretty much always positive in all of them. Or if I bonk, I'm just in like a deep, dark place where it's like, it's just unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, but fortunately I've never had to do much. It was funny this year, last year though. Um, so we did a podcast with, uh, Dr. Michelle Clear and, um, um, she's a sports psychologist and a uh, really, really cool lady. And, and it was funny. I asked her that question and she's like, yeah, you know, when I really suffer, I say my feet are light as a feather. So my buddy Jack and I were running a, uh, it was just a 30 K in Malaysia, but that's not to discount it. That race was stupid. It was yeah. <laughs> stupid hard. I, I, that's, that was, I still don't know how, why it was so hard. It, I mean, it, well, there was like heat, humidity, yeah. and like the elevation was ridiculous, but but it, my buddy Jack, who is the strongest runner I've ever known, um, he just was having a bad day. And, and it was funny because he was in a deep, deep, dark place. And, yeah. and I told him about the podcast. And I said, hey, man, just say my feet are light as a feather. And I was kind of cracking up. And I'm sure he'll be laughing at me when he hears this podcast. But because but, uh, I heard him back there and he's like, eyes were closed. He's like, my feet are light as a feather. My feet <laughs> are light as a feather. And I don't know if it worked. But I know for me, I got an insane, insane laughter out of yeah. it for like – two hours maybe yeah <laughs> so so yeah so yeah no real mantras for me but yeah. you know again I always try to stay positive because in the end it's better than doing I don't know work I mean you're right. racing how hard can it really be right. and you know life is life is in a good place so you're fortunate to do these things is absolutely. the way I see it yeah absolutely well yeah. I won't keep you too much longer but I wanted to thank you so much for talking with me today and yeah um, if you want to check out your packs, like, can you tell them where to go? Sure. Yeah. Look up, uh, orangemud.com and, uh, we get a lot of fit questions. You can always reach out to us sales at orangemud.com for fit. Uh, we, we always like to help anybody out with that. Um, and then, uh, the other thing I always encourage people to do is go on, uh, social media and just go to Instagram, look up orange mud or search hashtag orange mud 
and you will see, you know, find someone that has your body type mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's kind of one of my always suggestions for how to find a pack for you. Yeah. You know, if you're a runner and you're a, a maybe a larger runner, um, or larger chested runner or super petite runner, whatever it is, you'll go search hashtag orange mud and look through and find people and you'll find everybody, every shape yeah. and size, you know, find someone on there or, you know, five of them that are using packs that have your build type and, and hit them up. Hey, yeah. you know, how does this pack work for you? Are there any tips or is there something you suggest I do different? And, yeah. and, um, and I think it's a good way of whether it's our pack or somebody else's of, of finding a product that will yeah. work for you. Um, cause everything in the end, it's with the right gear and the right nutrition and the right attitude, you can do really anything. Absolutely. Um, whether it's ours or somebody else's. Yeah. I mean, that's like the thing that I really love about your packs. I have the, um, the single barrel quivers, the first pack that I bought and, and I actually got the same one for my sister, same color, everything. And, um, nice. she was training for a marathon and, um, but we're completely different body types. Like I'm really yeah. short. I'm very, like, I'm quite petite, like very small chested versus she's much taller than I am, much larger chest than I have. And we both fit that same pack perfectly. And it's yeah. because you can, you can adjust the straps. It sits in a place, as you said, that's like high in your back. So it's not like bouncing around, like you put it on and you forget it's there, which is what you want yeah. a pack to do. So, exactly. um, so yeah, I think that's a really good point to make about the, the body types, like finding, finding one that kind of fits you, but then also knowing that they do really well on across the board of body types, it seems to be. So yeah. major kudos to you because it's not, try, not easy to, to do that. So well, yeah, you ladies are complicated. That's yeah. for sure. I, I tell people all the time. Yeah, I think of boobs all the time when I'm designing packs. So I tell people, maybe all the time anyway. But no, but but all the time when designing packs, those yeah. guys are really easy to design for. Right. Um. But but ladies, yeah, it's very complicated yeah. with with uh, different chest diameters, of course. But but yeah, different chest sizes. Yeah. And, you know, or do they are they up and perky? Do they hang down a little yeah. bit? And those things really impact how Absolutely. the front straps and yeah. everything work. And sure. and um, so we we literally we do listen to every like every review on our website. We have thousands of reviews. You know, I read every single every morning. I get the review update, and I literally re read every review. If I ever see something in there that that clues me, and I okay, we need to make a little tweak. Maybe this this type of lady isn't, isn't working for yeah. her or this type of guy, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and I throw it in my design notes and, and I think at this point in the beginning, you know, it took a little bit to figure it out, but the hydro curve is kind of flawless. It works pretty much anybody, yeah. Yeah. for anybody, but yeah. it's when you add a chest strap, it gets really complicated. Right. And, and I, I think this year with the, the launch of our new packs that have these dual slider straps and everything, yeah. we pretty much, like it's, it's 99.9%. <laughs> it yeah. fits almost everybody, yeah. which has been really cool yeah. in one size too. Yeah. So that, it's uh it's exciting one pack will fit you it'd be the same pack will fit a 300 pound person you know it's well, a bodybuilder or something my, i mean it's my it's, boyfriend it's crazy fiance i should say now my fiance yeah congrats thank you um <laughs> he borrowed my hydro cover the other day like because he yeah he's been starting to trail run more and he was like you know i want to get this trail run out like there's this uh, radio tower that we would bike to and it's difficult to bike to um just because the trail is kind of techy and stuff and and uh, he'd been running part of it, but just to the water tower, which is like maybe halfway to the radio tower. He's like, you know what? And this is kind of the cool thing, watching the evolution of a trail runner as well. Like, he's like, mm. no, I really think that I could probably run to to the the radio tower and, and then to your point as well. He's like, but I need, I definitely need to bring some sort of nutrition with me. And I was yeah. like, yeah, well, I mean, take my pack. So he took the hydro quiver 
had some water in there, put a j- couple of jowls in the shoulder straps and, and he yeah. was good to go. And he made it. And like, afterwards he was like, he was disappointed that it wasn't further than what it was. <laughs> yeah. And I, was like, I bet. Oh, that's awesome. So now, now let's go ahead and do like some longer ones. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so yeah, well, thank you so much for talking with us today and let's, uh, let's maybe get a recap after you, after Leadville. Yeah. That sounds good to me. But good luck for it's fun ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Silver us next weekend. I can't wait. There you go. Yeah, you're all go. <laughs> yeah, all right. something like that. Well, thank you. well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate all it. All right. No worries. Okay. Thank right. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Josh for joining me today on the podcast. Um, hope you all have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you all next time. But in the meantime, stay dirty, my friends.